It's time for Decal Download, your source for news and information from the Georgia Department of Early Care and Learning. We'll hear from Commissioner Amy M. Jacobs and special guests to give you an update on all things Decal. This is Decal Download. Downloading now. And welcome back to Decal Download. I'm Reg Griffin, Chief Communications Officer here at the Georgia Department of Early Care and Learning, along with Commissioner Amy Jacobs. As school districts across Georgia announced system-wide closures to help minimize the spread of COVID-19, many families and advocates were concerned that children who rely on schools to provide healthy meals would be deprived of critically needed nutrition. Commissioner, as you know, DECAL's Nutrition Services works year-round to mitigate food insecurity among Georgia's children through the Child and Adult Food Service Program and our Summer Food Service Program. And they absolutely do. It's such a critical program that we administer at DECAL and our Nutrition Services uh, does amazing jobs and serves I mean, millions and millions and millions, over 80 million meals a year through the CACFP and around 5 million through summer food. I think when when I get interviewed about DECAL and they ask me, what's one program that nobody knows about, um, but they should, it definitely would be um, the programs run through our nutrition division. And, you know, when they've heard of nutrition, they're blown away by the number of meals. (laughs) Oh, yeah, absolutely anticipates that. Well, joining us to talk about how the division is helping to ensure that the most vulnerable children continue to have access to meals during the pandemic is Tamika Boone, Director of Nutrition Services, and Cindy Kicklider, Manager of Nutrition Marketing and Outreach. Ladies, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Reg. We'll point out we are still social distancing here on Decal Download. Cindy coming from her home, the commissioner from her home, Tamika bravely uh, went down to the Twin Towers and is in her office. So if we hear the familiar sounds of the Twin Towers, that includes the MARTA train that goes through our building and and other activities, whatever, right around the Capitol uh, Square, uh, you'll understand. But Tamika, thanks for coming in uh, to the office. How are things where you are right now? Everything's quiet. Everything's quiet. You know, normally when you come into the office and you have all of the crowds and the activity, um, it's so it's, it's really a contrast now because it's a ghost town now. And when I walked in and I heard one other person in the office, it was it shocked me just because it's been so quiet around here. So um, it's kind of it's kind of calm and relaxing. That's good. We've been uh, opening most of these podcasts by asking our guests how they are faring personally and professionally during COVID-19. And so, Tamika, how about you? I know you've been working remotely. You have a family. How's everything going? You know, everything's going great. Um, my daughter's daycare, she's in a home-based daycare, and so they never closed. And so I'm, I'm very fortunate in that she's been still going to daycare, so I've been able to still be very, you know, productive at home. My husband's still going into the office. So I don't have a lot of those concerns that a lot of people have about being able to stay focused and, you know, you have kids running in through your Zoom meeting. I've been fortunate to not not have that. Um, I have a new uh, respect for yoga pants and T-shirts, and I don't know if that's a a bad thing. So, well, so it's it's been going well. Thanks for asking. (laughs) Brought to you by yoga pants and T-shirts today. Cindy, how about you? How are you faring? Yeah. Personally, I am faring fine. I really have enjoyed the flexibility of working from home, and I've added about three hours back to my day without having to do the commute. Um, and professionally, I really do miss seeing my coworkers in person, but we've done a really great job staying connected through Skype and on conference calls, so we really haven't missed a beat. 
Well, I'm glad to hear you ladies are, are doing well. Cindy hadn't had a chance to catch up with you, but Tamika, we get to talk pretty regularly, but it will be nice to see each other again. Uh, that's for sure. So Tamika, yes. uh, yeah, definitely. As um, Tamika, as schools closed, many of Georgia's children no longer had access to nutritious meals. But fortunately, many of our sponsors of the summer food program stepped in to feed many of these children. So will you give us an overview of the impact the sponsors have made during this critical time? Yes, you know, it's really surprising that uh, back, I'd say say around mid-March, a lot of sponsors started reaching out to us when the school started closing and expressing interest in serving meals out in their community. And so around March, we started approving about five or so sponsors. And now to date, we've approved 49 sponsoring organizations to serve meals across the state. They're operating, we've approved over 700 feeding sites uh, in over, over 68 counties around the state. And so they've really stepped up to have a a footprint and an impact in their communities and serve meals. So far through the month of May, uh, sponsors have served over 2.7 million meals and snacks. And we expect that number when the when the June uh, numbers come in, the July numbers to come in for those to grow exponentially. So I think they've had a huge impact in their communities and really stepped up when schools had to close to ensure the kids still had access to meals and snacks, even though the schools closed. Now, the Summer Food Service Program is um, funded by the United States Department of Agriculture, USDA. We administer it through DECAL. And then, as Tamika says, we have sponsors uh, that uh, set up locations all across the state. In response to the pandemic, the USDA approved nationwide waivers, granting many programs uh, flexibilities to ensure Children have access to meals while promoting social distancing and keeping families safe. Uh, Tamika, can you give us some examples of how sponsors were able to use these flexibilities? The USDA has been really awesome about um, acknowledging some of the challenges and how the program needed to change. So, for example, normally during the summer, children have to come to a location like an apartment complex or a park or recreation center, and they have to consume the meal all together on site. That's the fundamental part of the program. But with the pandemic, obviously, and the need for social distancing, USDA responded and basically allowed the flexibility that allowed children to come and get the meal and take it back home and not to have to consume it in a group setting. At the same time, they uh, put out a flexibility that the child doesn't even have to come. Normally, we can only provide a meal directly to the child. But now they have a flexibility that allows the parent or the guardian to pick up the meal and take it back to their home, obviously, because many families are uncomfortable with letting their children, you know, come out and be in group settings. Even with some of the meal requirements, USDA has um, certain meal components that has to be included in a meal to ensure that the meals are healthy and nutritious. But as we've experienced in our own personal lives, going to the store, there's just been shortages of certain food items. You may go a day and you can't find bread or you can't find milk. So USDA has flexibilities that allows them to say, hey, I want to serve this meal, but I can't find bread. And so they can still get reimbursement for for some of those meals, even if they aren't able to find certain meal components. And lastly, the last example I'll give is normally we provide one meal at a time. Um, but now there's a flexibility that allows sponsors to provide multiple meals at once. So they can basically provide a parent or a child a week's worth of meals uh, on Monday. And so that the so that the child or the parent doesn't have to keep coming back to the site and potentially exposing themselves. 
And so they can now provide bulk meals and provide multiple meals at once. So those are just four of the uh, many flexibilities that USDA has allowed this summer, um, all very needed and all very appreciated for sure in the communities. Yeah, I completely agree. Those flexibilities have been critical um, to make sure we serve as many meals as possible. So very helpful. So we know that the emergency feeding program officially ends on June 30th. You know, we're not sure if there'll be any you know, extension of that. Does that mean that the traditional summer food service program begins on July 1? Tamika, how is all that going to work? Yes, it, it, that's exactly what that means. Um, emergency feeding, as I mentioned earlier, kind of kicked off in March. And so that's much earlier. The program normally starts around May and June. And so that emergency feeding period ends on June 30th. So technically on July 1st, our traditional regular summer food program would begin. But what we're hoping is that the children are not even going to notice a difference in the community. They're still going to have access to meals. Um, It's just basically the end of the emergency feeding period, but they'll still have access to healthy meals. They'll still have um, several sites in their communities. And so we're hoping that a lot of the sponsors who are currently doing emergency feeding will just continue to serve meals on July 1 through the end of the summer so that the children don't feel any change, even with the traditional summer program beginning on July 1. It really is great how many people have just risen to the occasion and stepped in uh, in an unprecedented way to serve these meals and then you know, government is not always known for its flexibility, but um, I believe USDA and DECAL working together have done a great job of being more flexible with these programs and meeting the need at the community level where it, it all happens. Now, if you're tuning in today and maybe you've never heard of the Summer Food Service Program, you didn't know there was an opportunity for free meals and snacks in Georgia. Uh, Cindy, let's talk a little bit about who is eligible to participate in the Summer Food Service Program. Okay, well, as Tamika mentioned, the mission of the program is just to provide greater access to healthy meals for Georgia's children. So fortunately, this program provides free nutritious meals and snacks to any child who is 18 years and under. And no one is required to provide any kind of identification, so it's available. Also, sponsors can serve meals to um, persons with disabilities who are over 18, but they must participate in a program for people who are mentally or physically disabled. So that is also available. And Cindy, I think probably the most important question of this whole podcast is how do families find out where meal sites are located during the summer? Right. And and there are several ways that families can locate a meal site. Um, One way is to um, go to our website at DECAL's website, decal.ga.gov, and you can find a list of uh, meal sites organized by county and the actual documents called emergency uh, feeding sites. So that's one way. And we update that list every week. A uh, second way is to go to the USDA Summer Meal Finder Mapping Tool. This is a long website, but it's fns.usda.gov forward slash meals for kids. And the four is uh, the number four. And you can type in the location or address where you are, and it takes you to an interactive map. You can get a list of nearby sites, and it tells you uh, the location. It'll tell you what time the meals are available and, and of course, the hours. Um, And a third way is to call the National Hunger Hotline, and that number is 866-348-6749. 866-348-6749. And the information is also available in Spanish, and that number would be 
842-642-6273. Now, maybe it's because we're recording right around lunchtime, but I'm curious. I don't know if I've ever asked this. What is the menu like for our summer food program? And I'm asking that also because we see a lot of efforts in different communities where they're relying heavily on sandwiches and and maybe a, a bag of chips and even a soft drink or something you might see in the mix. And ours are USDA sanctioned and approved. So tell us about the menu. What is that like? Okay. Well, our our sponsors have been trained to provide meals that meet the USDA dietary requirements that you mentioned, and that's called a meal pattern. And if these meals meet the requirements, then these sponsors are eligible for reimbursement. And just to give you an example of a meal pattern or menu, it would be uh, milk, either a fruit or vegetable, two, uh, two of them, one grain or bread, a meat or a meat alternate. And if you wanted to put together a menu, it might look something like a tuna sandwich on whole grain bread, broccoli, fresh blueberries, and milk. And really, summer in Georgia um, is a great time for harvest. So many of our sponsors also support our local farmers, and they incorporate a lot of the local foods in their menus. And, you know, like great strawberries, watermelon, basil, things like that. So uh, the kids are getting really nutritious meals that are locally harvested. Yeah. Now I'm really hungry. Thanks a lot, Cindy. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) So I would imagine that the need is even greater than ever for the community to get involved in providing summer meals for children. If there's an organization interested in helping, um, what would that involve and, and who do they need to contact? Yes, Rich. There is a need to provide families with access to nutritious meals, and the need is greater than ever this year. So we are looking for community organizations like libraries, community centers, churches, anywhere where children congregate, and we need them to serve as meal sites. And a meal site is simply the location where the meals are served, or this summer, where the meals would be picked up by families or children. And we have meal site supervisors, and they would work under an approved sponsor. And that sponsor provides the food, but the meal site would be responsible for supervising the meal distribution, managing any volunteers, keeping records of meals served, and making sure that that food is kept safe and at the right temperature. I personally, anyone can contact me, and I will help match a community organization with an approved sponsor. And you can reach me by emailing me at sfsp at decal.ga.gov. Or you can call me directly at 678-841-3170. So Tamika, before we wrap up, is there anything else you would like to share with our listeners about the Summer Food Service Program? You know, I think I'd just like to just ask all the listeners just to help us spread the word about summer feeding. You know, we have a COVID-19 website where we have a lot of resources. We have all of the resources that Cindy mentioned, but we really need people to know about the program Um, so that they can tell their neighbors, they can tell their family members. We want to get it to as many families and as many people as possible. So help us spread the word. Um, And then lastly, I would say to organizations that are currently serving meals this summer, if you're listening, you know, schools right now are considering whether or not they're going to operate as normal this upcoming school year. And so as you're wrapping up your summer program, just be thinking about our at-risk after-school program, which operates during the school year. And so as summer, the summer program ends, a lot of our organizations will transition to the at-risk after-school, which operates a lot like our summer program, but it operates after the school day ends. And so again, we don't know when schools will actually open back up, 
But when the schools do decide that they're ready, then you'll be ready also to basically ensure that children still have access to meals and snacks, even when the school year resumes. So I think that will probably be my parting words right now. Great information, great discussion around the Summer Food Service Program. And uh, don't forget, it is not too late if you want to become a sponsor uh, or a site for Summer Food Service. You can visit our nutrition page on the DECAL website at decal.ga.gov or email the Summer Food Service Program team at SFSP, think Summer Food Service Program, at decal.ga.gov. Tamika, Cindy, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you for having us again. Thank you, Reg. Now your questions from the water cooler. Hi, my name is Megan McNeil, and I work in the pre-K division at DECAL. My question for the commissioner is, do you know when and if pre-K classes will be back in session this fall? Well, thanks, Megan. Uh, That is definitely um, a very common question these days. And, you know, we're hopeful that um, Georgia Pre-K will go back as scheduled when school starts back um, around the beginning of August. Of course, there's still a lot of unknowns. Uh, We have begun talking to school systems to see what their schedules and their plans are for in-person learning and, of course, private child care as well. So, Uh, We are assessing exactly what that will look like, and it may look a little different, and it may look a little different um, depending on where you are in the state. Um, But we will definitely be as flexible as we can while adhering to uh, the high-quality standards of Georgia Pre-K program. So more to come as we get closer to the beginning of school. You know, one thing we're hearing from some of the public schools is this idea, uh, K-12 through schools, of maybe some students coming in one week and the other half doing virtual learning and then maybe switching that, that is probably not the best uh, environment or practice for early childhood education, I suppose. You know, it's really not. And, and, you know, like I said, we want to be as flexible as possible, but the whole, you know, every other day, it's just not good for our youngest learners, especially as they adjust to the schedule. It's almost like a teacher has to start over, you know, every other day with getting that routine down. So, Uh, We'll be as flexible as possible, but we'll also have some recommendations on what we think is best as well. And we'll hope that our, you know, 3,800 classrooms will um, work with us to make sure that these four-year-olds get a good experience. While we're talking about this, we are in the uh, return of the Georgia General Assembly. They have 11 days to pass a budget. And of course, that has a lot to do with our plans for pre-K classrooms and, uh, the calendar and and all of that. How are you feeling about that process right now? You know, it's hard to know. It's such a difficult time, uh, especially given um, the amount of budget cuts that we're expecting, uh, just the unknown. We will know um, very soon. They'll have to act, obviously, very soon. Um, And then the timing um, as we award pre-K classrooms and if we have to close any classrooms or shorten the school year, it's just it's very difficult, um, but we're going to do our very best as soon as we know something that is final, which um, will be in the next 10 days. Um, we will get that information out as quickly po- as quickly as possible to not only our Georgia pre-K providers, but parents. They want to know um, where their children will be attending Georgia pre-K next year. So um, it's definitely a tricky time right now, um, but we're going to do the best that we can to get that information out as soon as everything is final, because everything is up to the Senate and the House and the governor at this point. So Uh, We will wait and see and do our best behind the scenes to help inform them. Absolutely. We get a lot of questions through social media. Can you please tell us when pre-K is coming back? 
Can you please tell us what the schedule is going to look like? And we have to basically say, well, we're kind of waiting on some key information for that. And so uh, continue to follow along and we will keep you posted uh, on our website and on social media. An important uh, note today, we are recording this podcast on June the 16th. And on this day, we have to say congratulations, Commissioner Jacobs, on six years here at the Georgia Department of Early Care and Learning. We believe, based on our historian, Mark Waits, he says you are the longest serving commissioner in the history of the agency. How does that feel? It's hard to believe. Uh, the six years have definitely gone by very quickly. You know, my children were entering kindergarten and my and one year old when I started, and now they're Charlie's going into middle school um, next year. So a lot has changed personally, and I think we've made um, some great improvements in our early learning system at DECAL, and it's just a fantastic team. Um, I definitely walked into a very well-run state agency, so I was lucky, um, and they welcomed me, and I'm very happy to continue to be a part of it. We believe, according to, and this has not been verified, so we're still you know, going to have to go back and check our math, but we believe the Marsha Moore was the longest serving commissioner prior to you now. Um, so you might want to call her up and see how she's doing. <laughs> I should see how she's doing. Absolutely. And you followed Bobby Cagle, who uh, is now out in California at the LA County uh, DFACS uh, equivalent, basically running that uh, department. So a lot of good folks uh, that have been here uh, through the years uh, but congratulations on um, six years. Did you ever think, now you were at the Office of Planning and Budget, uh, did you ever think one of your challenges would be managing a state agency through a pandemic? No, abs absolutely not. That was never on my uh, to-do list. And I think in our very first podcast, um, I shared a secret that I had no plans of staying at DECAL permanently. I was just coming to fill in a little hole until the governor made another decision. So not only uh, was that not part of my plan, I was definitely not planning to uh, lead our agency through pandemic. Um, but I think we've we've done a really good job of um, managing through what we never expected or you know had anticipated. So I'm proud of what our agency has done through all of this. That's a great story. I had forgotten Governor Nathan Deal actually appointed you uh, to about a six-month period. And then uh, after that, uh, approached you about staying full-time and, and you agreed to do so. What is that like, getting a phone call that you're being appointed, even an interim commissioner? That's got to be um, a special day. <laughs> you know, it was even more special because I was on vacation my family and I were on vacation and I had left all of my phones in our condo when I was down at the beach. And when we got back to the condo, I had had a call on my personal cell, my business cell. John had gotten a call on his cell. I was like, what is happening? They were um, literally trying to track me down. So, um, you know, I didn't have a whole lot of time to think about it <laughs> because, you know, I was definitely committed to the governor um, an honor to be considered for that. So definitely a, a call that was out of the blue, um, but grateful that I got that call that day. And we're glad you stuck around. We uh, had a little surprise uh, party among our executive cabinet uh, on Friday uh, because you can't do it on the actual day. That's too much of a giveaway. And then uh, today on Facebook, we're recognizing your six years here and a lot of folks from the childcare community, our staff, uh, parents and others are saying a lot of very nice things. So everybody check out 
uh, our salute to Commissioner Jacobs, some nice words written there by our friend Mark Waits, and uh, great comments from people. So looking forward to the next six years. Who knows what we'll face during that time? That is right, but we'll be prepared. Time for the decal download quiz, your chance to win a nice prize by answering a question from today's podcast. Send your response to decal download at decal.ga.gov. We'll draw one winner from all the correct answers received. Here is the question. Name the two programs that work year-round to mitigate food insecurity among Georgia's children. Name the two programs that work year-round to mitigate food insecurity among Georgia's children. All the correct answers go into a hat. We pull one out. You'll win a prize. Thanks for playing and good luck. Thanks for tuning in to Decal Download. For more information, visit our website at decal.ga.gov. The conversation continues on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest. Follow Commissioner Jacobs on Twitter at C-O-M-M Jacobs.